Hey everybody, this is Shannon with VIP Kid World, and welcome back. In today's podcast, we're going to be continuing the reading of our book, Little Soldiers, by the author Lenora Chu. And in today's uh, podcast, we're going to be starting chapter four, which is titled, No Exceptions to the Rule. Um, I hope that you've been enjoying the podcast uh, book reading so far, and thank you for all of your support. And as always, my uh, disclaimer, please forgive me for any of the mispronunciations that I make for the Chinese words, as I do not speak Chinese, but I will try my best. Now let's get started with chapter four. We are a Chinese school. You chose to place your child here, and you must conform to our educational style. Teacher Chen. Rainy is the kid who plays tricks on his family, launches impromptu a cappella sessions, and organizes kids in play. I love that Rainy's personality sticks in the memory of most people who meet him, and I've always welcomed displays of individuality and playfulness. I want my child to understand what it means to color outside of the lines. Yet Chinese culture promotes conformity. The nail that sticks up would be hammered down, the bird whose head sticks out easily shot, and the tallest tree easily destroyed by the wind, as the proverbs go. What I was learning of Chinese teachers' methods stunned me, and I was shaken by the thought that Rainy might have his tiny spark extinguished at school. At home, our little boy liked to laugh uproariously when Rob or I did something funny. Doubling over or slapping the floor with his hands, continuing to chuckle past the point when a joke lost its humor. For our fun-loving boy, the physicality of laughing often became the joke itself. Were Rainy's teachers prone to screaming, shaming, and threat-making? Were they embarking on the long march to make Rainy conform to his environment? The qualities I was observing in the teachers I'd met were clearly part. Of an authoritarian teacher culture, but were there kinder and gentler gradations on that scale? Will the police take me away if I don't nap? Rainy asked Rob one Saturday, as he was going down for his afternoon nap. Why would the police come if you don't nap? Rob said, tucking a blanket around his head. But Rainy didn't answer. The following week, on a lazy weekend afternoon, Rob and I watched as our little boy curled up in a fetal position on the living room floor. This baby Rainy purposefully squeezed his eyes shut, squinting with the effort, as if trying to block out some kind of apparition. After a few seconds, he cracked open his eyes to peer surreptitiously at his environs. He did this several times until I finally got it. He was trying to escape detection. Detection from whom? Baby Rainy suddenly jumped up to a standing and, swag- and swaggering around the room. Immediately, I realized my son was imitating a teacher. You must sleep. Close your eyes and rest. If you don't, I'll call the police. Teacher Rainy boomed, wagging a finger over the spot where Baby Rainy had lain. It was clear what this meant. Yes, close your eyes," Teacher Rainy boomed. "If you don't, I'll call the police to take you away." When I was a child, American culture presented the police officer as a friendly authority figure, 
a helper of elderly women crossing the street, and a source of fascination for young children. In Chinese culture, the police are often used as a means to an end, coercing children to do what an adult wants. I said, close your eyes, teacher Rainy boomed again. If you don't close your eyes, I'll send you to Tuoban. You'll never see your classmates again. Tuoban was the class level for the two-year-olds. The teachers were threatening to demote our son. Rob and I looked at each other, stunned. As my father's daughter, I'd heard many threats growing up. And my aunts and uncles also thought nothing of tossing off warnings to instigate behavior. If you don't study hard, you'll grow up to be homeless. If you, don't, if you eat too much chocolate, you'll get fat. If you don't become a lawyer, you'll be poor. For my sister, they substituted doctor for lawyer. The Chinese I know can be very specific about their threats, especially when it comes to naming consequences. They are world-class experts at fear-based motivation. At home, I'd explained to Rainey that brushing his teeth kept the dentist away. And the following day, I overheard our IE. If you don't brush your teeth, she told Rainey ominously, insects will sprout from the filth and devour your face while you sleep. For the next several nights, Rainy slept in fear of face-eating bugs, and I instructed Ai to leave oral hygiene to me. The police threat, however, didn't seem to concern our little boy. Was it because he'd heard this one too many times in the classroom? Rainy was either unwilling or unable to confirm the source. So I did what any self-respecting American parent would do. I requested a parent-teacher conference. Teacher Chen and Sai stared at us from their pint-sized chairs. Their students had been tucked away in another room for nap time, and the home room of small class number four felt suddenly cavernous and cold, as if its beating heart had been suddenly snatched by a surgeon's forceps. Rob and I were seated in child-sized chairs of our own, rears low to the ground and knees propped awkwardly. I got straight to the point. Rainy doesn't like to come to school. I said, ah, both teachers said, nodding, as if there were no surprise. Teacher Chen spoke first. Before Rainy came here, which school was he attending? She asked. Happy, I stopped and cringed with embarrassment. Um, happy kids? The previous year, Rainy had attended a nursery in Shanghai owned by a Canadian and run by a French woman. The Chinese would balk at a name, naming a school for joyful contentment. Wisdom first, sacrifice is golden, and world's best math is more like it. Ah, happy kids, Chen repeated, nodding as if a hunch had been suddenly confirmed. Were the classmates foreign or local? Mostly foreign. Chen nodded again, diagnosis complete. We think that Rainy is very smart, enthusiastic, and warm and willing to learn, Teacher Chen said. And I think the biggest problem is he has is with his guizi, the rules. What rules? I asked. He feels restrained. We think he has problems with discipline. Could you give me a specific example? I asked, a tinge of anger creeping into my voice. Easy, Rob whispered under his breath from his tiny chair, knees nearly up to his shoulders. 
Chen and Sai exchanged words in Shanghainese and finally turned to us again. At Happy Kids, Chen said, he experienced a foreign education culture. Western education culture is much more mm, casual than Chinese education culture. I sat. I stared. Chen offered an example. If Rainy jumps around and falls, the American mom will think, no problem, kids will be kids. But for the Chinese mom, it's very important they don't fall down. Rainy has not learned that school is not fully for enjoyment. What has he done? Can you give me an example? I insisted. He goes down the slide head first, she said. We think going down the slide head first is good, I said. He's experimenting, having fun. Ah, Chen said knowingly, as if suddenly realizing the mother, not the child, was the problem. But we have 28 children in the class. If they all do it that way, it will be dangerous, Chen told me. I recalled that teacher's directives in the child development book indicated a world full of danger. Change clothes often to minimize contamination. Drink cool, boiled water if possible. Don't go to public places too often. Wipe floors with wet towel. Exercise, but not too strenuously. The first thing is, Chen said, you have to observe safety rules. You can't run too fast. You can't bump into people. You must finish your lunchtime meal. You must listen to the teacher. Sai sat next to her, the silent but nodding lieutenant. My relationship with Sai had never recovered from the botched coach purse delivery, and when she wasn't chilly toward me, she was dismissive. We understand, I said, guiding the conversation back to the pointed hand. But Rainey says... He was told that the police would take him away if he didn't nap at nap time. We are concerned about your use of threats as a tactic. Chen and Sai looked at each other for a beat and whispered to each other in Shanghainese. It's not allowable to threaten children, no matter at home or abroad, Chen said finally. We have never told children we would call the police. They're flat out denying it, Rob muttered to me. Where else would Rainy have heard it? He took over. Rainey says he's scared to come to school because he's told the police will come after him if he doesn't sleep, Rob announced. I've never used force, Chen said, neatly skipping over the police threats. Why do you think Rainey isn't liking school? I asked. After gradually, uh, I unfold all, unfolded all my concerns about the dictatorial classroom environment. Forced naps, near-constant lining up, and a lack of free expression during art. Chen had a functional response, a reason for everything. Yes, children must lie ramrod straight during nap time because the beds are close together and others will be distributed, disturbed if anyone fidgets. Yes, the children line up for the bathroom breaks, otherwise chaos will ensue. Yes, water is only drunk at designated times, so as not to interfere with instruction time. Yes, the children must learn the fundamentals of drawing before they can experiment. No, the children are not allowed to talk during lunch. Not at all? I asked. Visions of my very lively elementary school lunch table in Houston dancing in my head. No talking while eating? No, not at all. 
We're not like other Western schools where everything is very casual, Sai said, switching to English for her last word. We need them to finish eating on time. Also, if they're talking, they might choke on their food. What about sitting in chairs for a long time? Yes, they must sit straight in chairs. For music class, it makes their voices clearer, interjected Sai. What about discipline? What if a child does something wrong? I'll ask them, I'll talk to them, and ask them to think about it for a while. Will you take them to another room and ask them to stay there alone? Or make them stand outside the classroom? No, never, said Sai. I don't think it's acceptable to threaten children, whether at home or abroad in the West. But someone did, I told her, rec recounting what I'd seen Rainy recreate at home. Perhaps it was the classroom IE, Teacher Chen said, her tone taking on an edge. I will talk to her. You know, we are trying to adopt some Western ways. Chen and Sai informed us that the government is working very hard to reform traditional education. Chen turned to me with a question. We have a problem of our own up to bring up, she said. Rainy has a habit of straddling other children and pretending they're domesticated animals. She brought her hands up to her chest, fingers curled over and bounced twice her, in her tiny chair. Bung, bung, as if she were riding a bucking, bucking donkey. There is an imaginary bridle and whip, Chen explained, and he'll try to make the other children gallop. Oh, I responded as flatly as I could. Chen looked at me with surprise, as if she'd expected me to recoil with horror. I was concerned, but frankly, I also wanted to laugh at Chen's pantomiming. The other children complained to me, Chen added for good measure, with another two bounces. Bung, bung. When we first noticed the behavior, we'd try to talk to him about it. But now, all we can do is yell. You can't argue with that, Rob said to me in English under his breath. We sat perched in our chairs, two parents of a naughty child, humbled and muted. Chen spotted her opportunity. We are a Chinese school. You chose to place your child here, and you must conform to our educational style. She seemed to be speaking directly to me, and I suddenly knew Principal Zhang had told her of my attempts to weasel into the classroom for observation. I whispered to Rob in English, Does she think we're running a jungle at home? Well, if Rainey's riding his classmates, then yes, Rob muttered back. If you let him run around very casually at home, Chen admonished, he comes to school and tells the teacher, well, mommy said it's okay to do this. I nodded. Chen looks, looked at me specifically again. He needs to think that his mommy and teachers are on the same side. You decided to send him here. You need to trust our educational style, and you must do the same at home. I can't pinpoint exactly how we knew it was time to leave, but Rob and I rose from our chairs at precisely the same time, and Chen and Sai mirrored us. We'd stepped into their classroom expecting an honest conversation, but the rules of Mianzi, or face, didn't allow them to own up to anything. I'd been naive to expect that a direct challenge would be effective.
I bowed my head. It's time for you to have lunch, I proclaimed, because protocol required them to throw some face our way to acknowledge my reason for calling the meeting. Chen promised to look into the police threats. I knew we'd never speak of it again. At this point in Rainey's journey, I suspect many of my American friends might have sprinted through the black gates of Sun Qingling, kid in tow, without a backward glance. Some might have told off Teacher Chen and Sai while perched in their tiny, chair, tiny chairs. Others might have fled to the nearest international school, whose philosophies ranged from Reggio Emilia to Montessori to Waldorf. One friend had recently pulled her child out of Sun Qingling after trying on on the Chinese option as casually as she might try on a chipao dress on for size at the local fabric market. I was certainly incapacitated some days by doubt and fear, but I also wasn't ready to abandon the mission. Many foreigners living in modern Shanghai were brought in by multi-internationals, law firms, and service agencies eager to tap the immense Chinese market for profit. When these Americans, Brits, French, Germans, and Japanese weren't toiling inside office towers, they went on trips to Thailand or Bali, took escapades in their chauffeured nine-seater vans, or dined out at European and Mediterranean restaurants. In other words, they tried to insulate themselves from the experience of China as much as they could. A couple American women I knew rarely left their apartments and villas unless their spouse's company-appointed drivers waited at the end of their driveways, doors ajar to air-conditioned protective pods as they traversed this megacity. Rob and I wanted to be another type of foreigner in China altogether. Rob's time in rural China as a 20-something had acquainted him with the country and its culture. During his time teaching with the Peace Corps, he'd befriended Chinese students who were polite and inquisitive and respectful of education, and he'd carried with him a certain comfort with placing his own son in the Chinese system. Meanwhile, my own heritage made the Chinese and their behaviors immediately familiar. It was as if I looked into Teacher Chen's eyes, no matter how harsh or authoritarian their glint, the, they immediately, I recognized my father's intentions, sometimes misguided but always well-meaning. Despite all my struggles, I never lost sight of the value in discipline and hard work delivered the Chinese way. Rob and I ultimately traveled different paths to arrive at the same point. Philosophically, we saw value in the Chinese approach to discipline and academics. And we also wanted our son to experience the same culture we'd grown to appreciate. Today, Rob and I bike in the sweaty tangle of Shanghai street traffic, eat fiery Hunan food, and journey to the far corners of China and Southeast Asia during holidays. We're Americans, but our holistic identities are not linked to any particular place. You're a global citizen, my Aunt Carrie told me, the term was overused, but in many ways she was right. We'd chosen to spend our son's early years in China, in part because we felt it was important for him to learn another way of life. We wanted a nimble child 
a boy who could handle a world that was uncertain and rapidly changing, with the confidence that he could find his place within it. My Aunt Liang, a career psychologist with a focus on ethnic culture, challenged my fear and doubt most starkly. Why are you stressing over this local school decision? You live in China. Why would you expect Rainy to attend anything other than Chinese school? Rainy's teacher Chen was right. We'd chosen to put Rainy into a local school. We'd elected to immerse our son in the culture, hoping he'd absorb the language and some of that renowned Chinese discipline. The problem came when we expected to got cobbled together an educational experience as if we were plucking items off a menu. I wanted Rainy to learn Mandarin, but I was uncomfortable with forced nap time or egg eating. We knew he stood out as a foreigner with his brown hair and odd mannerisms, but we'd expected his teachers and classmates to override basic sensory cues and accept him fully as a peer. I'd once caught a teacher calling him Xiao Lao Wai, or little foreigner, which to my surprise didn't seem to bother my son. I'd excluded arrogance toward I'd exuded arrogance toward Teacher Chen, who had years of experience in China and a master's degree in education, while I had none. Why did we expect to gallop into a Chinese school and bend its educational culture toward our pole within months of arriving? What gave me the right to feel entitled to an exception? I found comfort in the fact that Rainey's school was a government-designated model school with access to special funding and privileges. By contrast, Little Pumpkin's school was average in a nondescript suburban suburb of Shanghai. Sun Qingling strove for smaller class sizes and teachers with master's degrees. Seventy percent of its teachers had certificates specifically granted for early childhood education. And they went on frequent frequent trips abroad to study other school systems. The physical education time spent in Australia, that bastion of sun and sport. The school's parents' population was well-to-do, well-traveled internationally, and exposed to the ways of Europe and the United States. We believe in a kinder, gentler approach. Principal Zhang had told us during an orientation speech, "We are one family in this school, one united family. Teachers and parents should learn from each other." Sun Qingling was at the forefront of a national effort to change China's approach to education. The principal told us, "The school is a testing ground for the future of Chinese education, and in recent years, our school had influenced all kindergartens in Shanghai." As well as across the nation, this gave me hope. Anyone with even a casual knowledge of Chinese education knows that academic pressure got very intense during the teenage years, and the news media often published stories of student suicides leading up to important exams. Yet here was evidence the government was entirely satisfied with its education system. The government wasn't entirely satisfied with its education system. Just as I had questioned, so did they. I also wasn't convinced Rainey's teachers were as horrible as my worst fears suspected. 
On good days, I was captivated by the idea that these government change efforts might offer some upside to the downside of Chinese education, and that, indeed, Rainey might come out of his schooling flexible and gritty, as well as some kind of academic superstar to boot. I plan to step up my efforts to find out exactly where Chinese education was headed, and I knew my reporting would better inform our decision about Rainey's schooling. As a safety measure, I placed Rainey's name on a waiting list at an international kindergarten down the street from our house. These foreign-run bilingual schools were the closest approximation we might get of a public school in America, but they were prohibitively expensive, up to forty thousand U.S. dollars a year. International school was an extravagance that Rob and I couldn't afford making without some adjustments. But exploring a backup plan seemed something a responsible parent should do. Anyway, it would probably take months for a spot to open up. Meanwhile, Teacher Chen had made clear our mission for the weekday hours of 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. We'd need to ensure Rainy didn't mount his classmates like they were horses, inure him to cultivate、uh, compliance, inure him to a Culture of compliance by threats and help him adapt to his foreign environment. As part of that promise, I hired a Mandarin tutor for Rainy. It's commonly said that the Chinese is one of the most difficult languages in the world to learn. The Chinese language consists of more than forty thousand distinct characters, with each appearing to be a random assortment of straight and curved strokes. Wiggled in ink, with no immediately discernible order. This inscrutability is complicated by the fact that spoken Mandarin has four tones, so that any phonetic sound, such as ma, will have a different meaning depending on whether it is spoken with a steady high tone, a rising tone, a falling then rising tone, or a falling tone. Thus, even if you manage to commit thousands of characters to memory, you still must hit the tones in everyday speech. The easy character to remember are the ones that resemble what they mean," said Rainey's tutor, a young preschool teacher I had found in the neighborhood, who was excited for a little extra cash on the weekdays after work. She began to break down the task into discrete parts. The character means fire," she told Rainey. And you might say it resembles flames that burst into two sticks of wood. When you extrapolate from there, she said, you'll see that the characters contain the radicals that might typically have the meaning related to fire. For example, there are a few Chinese symbols in the book. Burning means toast,、uh, something extremely hot. Such radicals or root forms offer clues to sound and meaning. The tutor would draw little pictures for help. For example, a symbol that looks like a W meant mountain, and another symbol indicated up. Other little trips and tricks, tips and tricks, assist the learning process. But ultimately, no Chinese teacher will deny that memorization and drilling of thousands of characters is ultimately a large part, if not entirely, the essence of learning Chinese. No child can escape that process," 
which has become a dirty word in American pro classrooms. Rote memorization. Learning Chinese takes years. Seven or eight years to learn to read and write 3,000 characters, estimated the linguist, uh, linguist and sinologist John DeFrancis. While students of French and Spanish might achieve a comparable level in half the time. Anyone trying to learn Chinese will always be frustrated by the abysmal ratio of effort to effect, wrote the linguist David Moser. Moser writes with humor of an incident where he couldn't conjure up the word sneeze. He happened to be dining with three PhD students at Peking University. Not one of them could correctly produce the character, Moser wrote. Now, Peking University is usually considered the Harvard of China. Can you imagine three PhD students in English at Harvard forgetting how to write the English word sneeze? My own journey to learning Chinese has been torturous. My parents send me, sent me to Sunday school in Houston, Sunday Chinese school, and I absor absorbed as much as I could. That is, when I wasn't hoping for a sudden bolt of lightning to strike me dead as I traced out characters in my notebook. In China, school children are anything but casual Sunday learners. They drill daily, and they're required to reach full literacy astonishingly quickly. A child's ability to memorize is very good at this stage, and it should be tapped, a primary school teacher told me during an interview. China sets rigorous curriculum standards with no leniency even for the youngest of children. First and second graders should recognize 1,600 characters and write 800 of them from memory. By fourth grade, the level is 2,500 characters. And by the sixth grade, it's 3,000 characters, and writing almost as many. Although many schools' individualized curriculum actually calls for more. Full literacy requires an astonishing 3,500 frequently used characters to be committed to memory, according to the Chinese curriculum standards for full-time compulsory education. <clears throat> that means a typical Chinese first grader, six years old when they start the school year, attends hours a week of Chinese class, reading, writing, and reciting every day. The process itself drills rigidity and memorization into a child's routine. Some education watchers say it's the unforgiving task of learning Chinese itself that lays the groundwork to killing curiosity and creativity in the Chinese school child. Ironically, as fearsome as the tasks seem to the intellectual mind, Rainey was having more fun memorizing Chinese characters than learning to read in English at this early stage. He'd easily learned his ABCs, but having to remember the phonetic sounds that accompanied each letter, not to mention consonant combinations such as SH and CH and LL, made him throw up his hands in despair. Some days his Chinese learning journey was gratifying. Carrots are for rabbits, and I am not a rabbit he said to me in Chinese, laughing. I'd coaxed him to eat his vegetables at dinner, and I'm sure Rainey loved being able to reject my nutritional efforts in Chinese as well as in English. Other days were challenging, such as the time Rainey refused to invite Chinese friends to his birthday party. I don't want to speak Chinese on my birthday, he said. 
don't you speak Chinese in school? I responded. Yes, but I'm not at school right now, he replied. Good point. Another time, he walked away from Ayi mid-sentence, leaving her staring at, after him in puzzlement. He explained to me and Rob in English. I'm tired of speaking Chinese, he said. Also, paleontologists don't need to speak Chinese. Rainey had decided upon turning four that he wanted to get paid to dig for fossils when he grew up. Paleontologists do need to speak Chinese, Rob replied. They find a lot of dinosaur fossils in China. <laughs> Good point. When the factories in the Yangtze Delta work for <laughs> morning through night and weather patterns are stagnant, a perfect confluence of factors makes the air a dense, dark, choking fog. Shanghai is home to a thriving steel manufacturing sector and a multitude of petrochemical plastics, rubber, metals, and machining plants. These factories and their bellowing smokestacks infiltrate and encircle Shanghai, and some days thick blankets of industrial smog obscured the morning sun and shrouded the skyscrapers outside our window in a cloak of gray. This was China's pollution problem which presented a unique challenge for us. Rainey suffers from coughing fits, which worsen during times of high pollution, and a doctor cautioned us he might be showing early signs of asthma. Many children grow out of it, the doctor told us, but in the meantime, we should keep a rescue inhaler with him at all times, including, he told us, when our boy is at school. As part of the doctor's prescription, We'd have to stay inside on particularly smoggy days. Checking the air quality each day was easy. Each morning, 16 floors up, I would part our dining room curtains and gaze north over the red top roofs of the Shikumen building that sat low to the ground past five high-rise apartments and over Yan'an Highway, already choking up with Baojuns and Buicks on the daily commute. I was seeking out my personal pollution monitor. Jiangyan Temple in all its golden glory, otherwise known as the Temple of Peace and Tranquility. The temple sits about half a mile from the 16th floor window. Dating back to AD 246, Jiangyan Temple was relocated during the Song Dynasty, renovated during the Qing Dynasty, destroyed in 1851, and then rebuilt, and today it's an imposing structure of gold leaf and layered rooftops that ascend into the sky. On clearer days, when I could make out the fine detail of the golden layered knobs at the temple's top, the air quality index usually notched in below 100. Safe for most people, declared my mobile air quality app. If the temple's edges disappeared into a gray-black haze of smog, like a photograph whose borders had been deliberately smudged, the index notched in between 100 and 200, already well outside of the level deemed safe by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Unhealthy. Restrict outdoor exertion. If I saw nothing of the temple, much less the buildings, the next block over, I knew the index was at least 200, 300, or above. Very unhealthy, or hazardous. Time to hunker indoors in our hermetically sealed apartment, mini refrigerator size air purifiers cranked to high. 
One week in December, I parted the curtains and looked north past Yan'an Highway. No Jing'an Temple. As my eyes began to focus, I realized I couldn't even see the building the next block over for a faint shadow here and there. Phantom outlines of skyscrapers shouted in smog. I couldn't make out the sun. The index had surpassed 500. So toxic, it exceeded measurement capabilities. Los Angeles and London usually hover around 50. Airpocalypse, screamed a Western newspaper, while Shanghai officials order all schools to suspend outdoor activities. I can't breathe, so I'm staying in, a friend texted me, canceling a planned coffee date. We're keeping Rainy home, Rob told me, teeth gritted. Windows closed, filters on high. For days, we cowered indoors, taking our stand against World War, war smog. The pollution finally lifted after a long, interminable week. I returned Rainy to school with a newfound determination. Asthma isn't a medical condition most Chinese are familiar with, and I'd been hesitant to call attention to any feature that would brand my son as an exception to the rule. But... It was time to talk to Teacher Chen. What is that? Teacher Chen said, glancing at the blue plastic and metal contraption in my hand. I'd pulled her aside at pickup time, armed with the Chinese vocabulary for asthma, emergency, and rescue inhaler. An inhaler, Shiru Chuwuji, medication to help Rainy breathe, I told her. He has asthma. If you see Raining having trouble breathing, could you please give him two puffs? We don't keep any medication here. Take it to the school nurse, Chen said. Bu hao yi si. I find it embarrassing to say. I said, the Chinese use this nicety to preface anything troublesome, contradictory, or confrontational. And what I was about to say classified as all three. Bu hao yi si, but... A fast response is important, and Rainy's nurse station is too far away. Could we keep the medication near Rainy? We don't keep medication in the classroom, she repeated, and she turned away. How about the coat room next door? I asked. But Chen shook her head without turning around. A backside in retreat that summed up my rapport with Teacher Chen. The nurse's station sits in the same yellow and white stucco building as, a as the guard's glass house at the school entrance. Stretching along the side of the building is a long trough of opaque black sinks, exactly waist-high for a child. Above the sinks sit an array of golden plaques, which together declare Sun Qingling a model kindergarten and a laboratory for infant education. This area had a distinct purpose in the mornings, the daily tijian, or health assessment. Children would stream through the gates, pass the guards, lather and rinse their hands at low black sinks, dry off, and then step into one of the two long lines that snaked into the nurse's station. At the head of each line, a pink uniformed nurse peeked into tiny mouths and turned over palms to check for red dots that signified hand, foot, and mouth disease. Depending on her assessment, the nurse would hand each child a thin, colored tab of plastic 
the size of a USB thumb drive. Let's go, Mom, Rainy would say, clutching the colored tab as we walked together up to the classrooms. A red tab indicated good health, no action required. Blue signified to the teacher that the student was scheduled to take daily medicine. Pink, the color of Pepto-Bismol, indicated stomach ache. Yellow meant the child showed signs of cough. Green was a mystery. So I asked Rainy. That means bleeding or hurt, he explained one day, smiling up at me as we traversed the, grassy lawn, the huge grassy lawn in the center campus, which I came to call Big Green. The daily check-in process was orderly, completely silent, and an effective way to communicate between nurse and teacher. Color code, the missive, <clears throat> and dispatch children as the messenger. Chinese efficiency in processing large crowds always amazed me. One day, Rainy got a yellow card, which meant cough. And the day after that, and in fact the day after that, every day that week. But he was perfectly healthy. He should have been getting red. Something was going on. What does yellow mean? I'd asked him, as casually as I could. He clutched the yellow tab as if it were a prized toy. It means cough. But you don't have a cough this week, I'd said. Rainy didn't answer. The next morning, I positioned myself so that I could observe the head of the nurse's line. And to my surprise, I saw Rainy carefully cough just once, right as the nurse was peering into his mouth. Yellow card. <clears throat> Rainy and I made our way up to the classroom. What is different when you get a yellow card? I'd asked, feigning nonchalance. More water, he said. <laughs> the kids don't get as much water as they want, I'd thought with a smidge of horror. This scene replayed in my head as I approached the nurse's station that day, armed with Rainy's asthma inhaler. I stepped inside. May I bother you for a moment? I said, as Nurse Yang Kun Kun approached, sporting a light pink frock and dark brown contacts whose irises streaked blue as they approached the whites of her eyeballs. A woman with broad shoulders also joined us from the back office, and we three installed ourselves in tiny chairs around a low table. Rainy suffers from Shaoshuan, and I'd like to talk to you about keeping medicine in the class in case he has trouble breathing, I said. The teachers can't keep medicine in the classroom, Broad Shoulders said, as if repeating line 37 from some kind of operating manual. We'll keep it here. She motioned to a yellow cabinet against the side wall. Through the frosted glass windows, I made out the shape of tiny bottles and white cord cardboard boxes the size of my palm. Nurse Young sat beside Broad Shoulders, acknowledging her lower rank with silence. Bu hao yi si. I find it embarrassing to say, but that will be a problem, I said. We need to keep it close to him in case he has an attack. The teachers can't keep medicine in the classroom, she said, repeating line 37. Is there another possibility? How about if a, a student's shelf in the co coat room? We can't keep medicine outside of the nurse's station, she repeated. It seems a reasonable rule. But in this case, the distance from Rainey's classroom was a problem, and we needed it solved. 
The medicine is not dangerous. It won't affect the kids who don't need it, I said. It only opens up the airways for those who cannot breathe. We'll keep it here, Shoulders said firmly, staring at me. China was a place of many rules, and in this case the official rule was clear. But where was the workaround? I thought. The Chinese swarm against so many spoken and unspoken rules, governmental, societal, cultural, that simply to function, often you had to navigate the system even if it meant breaking the law. The rules, taken individually or in aggregate, were simply too restrictive to follow to the letter of the law. An ancient Chinese proverb proclaims, Rules are dead, the people are alive. An acquaintance who works at a non-profit told me that the rules here are either too strict or too stupid, which ultimately means, or makes them, just for decoration. Whether decorative or real, here I was bumping up against one of these rules. The Chinese always seem to know how to resolve such conflicts through guangxi, gifting, an appropriately timed offer, an uttered phrase, or some other dance move. But after a few years in China, I still found it all as mysterious as a peacock mating ritual. I may be of Chinese ancestry, but during most of my early, years in early days in Shanghai, I felt very much like a bumbling foreigner. Unlike me, I could see that Rainey had adjusted. He was finding his own way to get things done. He wanted more water, and he discovered that faking a cough was the most effective way to accomplish his goal without triggering the teacher's ire. He was growing up inside the system. His mother had no such magical workaround. I requested teacher-parent conferences, I confronted Teacher Chan about medical issues, and here I was challenging two school nurses inhaler in hand. I was utterly without a compass. I could only repeat myself. If we keep the medicine here, it's not close enough to help him, I said. We can get it to him in three to five minutes. We'll hurry, Shoulder said. It will be too late, I said, my tone getting insistent. If it's an emergency, he won't be able to breathe. He'll immediately need two puffs. Shoulder spotted her opportunity. On days that he is coughing, he'll rest in the nurse's station. We'll sit him out during outside play, she said, motioning to a small cot nearby. I glanced at the thing a pitiful little bed tucked into the corner of the room. No, 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 I said quickly. Running is good for him because it helps his lungs expand and contract. Well, then we'll just keep the medication here. Shoulder said, line 37 of the manual, again. You won't be able to get there in time. This is what will happen, I cried, desperate. I put my hands up to my throat, mustered the most contorted face I could, and started gagging and choking. I grunted as my tongue wagged and my eyes bulged. Oh, Nurse Yang exclaimed. Broad shoulders and Yang shifted in their tiny seats. Xiao Chuan can kill people if they don't get relief. You would let him die? I asked, going in for the kill. No, no, they said, looking at each other. I kept my hands clasped around my throat. I sensed a breakthrough was near. Broad shoulders arrived at the solution first. Perhaps Rainey needs to be transferred 
to another school, a school for children with special needs, she said with an authoritative bob of her head. We can give you a referral. Oh, no, 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 I said quickly, removing my hand from my throat. No, no, Rainey's condition is not serious. I'd heard of such places. They were institutions where problem children, those who were suffering from autistic spectrum disorder to multiple sclerosis, were neatly tucked away from society. In general, China's school system lacked a formalized method of identifying children with disabilities or special needs. There wasn't a practice of, keeping, of trying to keep these children in mainstream, although I've met a handful of educators and activists working to change this. Broad Shoulders and Nurse Young simply sat there. They looked at me. They waited. Let's just keep the medication here. I said, handing over the inhaler. Broad shoulders nodded, and the inhaler disappeared into her hand. I would talk to Rainey's doctor about managing his cough with a daily steroid inhaler, a longer-term preventative therapy we could administer at home. Broad shoulders wasn't finished with me yet. We need a paper from the doctor with the child's name on it and the name of the medication, she said. I don't have one, I said without thinking. I got the medication in America. This paper you speak of, I handed it, handed this over to the pharmacy. Shoulders only repeated her request, unblinking, as she gazed at me. It was clear that Rainey had begun to adapt to his top-down environment, yet his mother was still struggling under the system's authoritarian way. Instinctively, I knew these conflicts might eventually force some kind of decision about whether Rainey should stay in the system. But in the meantime, it was clear that if I didn't conform to Sun Qingling's directives, my son would be kicked out of school. I will bring the papers tomorrow, I told Broad Shoulders, looking down at my shoes. And that's the end of Chapter 4. Next time we'll move on to Chapter 5, which is entitled, No Rewards for Second Place. Thank you for listening to this book reading. Hope you've been enjoying it, and uh, we'll see you next time.